Hello again, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Steak Sports Podcast. Adam Luckett, as always, your host, coming to you on a beautiful Wednesday evening in the Bluegrass State, June 6, 2018. Belmont week. It's Belmont week, absolutely, and it's my bachelor party week, Farmer, so I'm I'm extra excited about that. Where y'all going? We're going down to Pensacola, staying on a golf course down there, going to go to the Florida Bar, go to the beach, do some golfing. I want to be you when I grow up. Yeah, you ain't the only one. Any, any, from a guy that's formerly married farmer, any tips from a bachelor party? Any do's and don'ts? Hmm. Uh, I would say this. I would say as much as you're not going to want to, you probably need to check in uh, maybe at least once a day um, just just so that they know that you're still alive. And uh, try to get all as many of your friends as possible when they are checking in. Try to get them on Snapchat checking in so that you can document how many times everybody checked in. That would be my advice. That's not bad advice. Not bad advice there. We we even got uh, a couple of dads rolling with us down this weekend, so it should be a pretty wild little time. I'm definitely excited for it. But uh, and then I'm sure we'll recap that trip next week on the pod. I'm sure I'll have some stories to tell. But it's been a busy week, as always, Farmer, in the sports world. But I'd like to th- reach out and thank everyone that uh, sent us a message on Twitter letting us know what they thought was the easiest job in sports. We got a lot of really good re- replies. I was uh, really thankful for that. So thank you. We're going to probably do more stuff like that in the future, especially in the summer when it's really not much else to talk about. And just some of the replies I want to say, Everyday DH, that was one of the, one of the ones we got. I thought... That was a uh, that was that was a good one. Uh, you when a game of baseball where you only, only have to do two things and you get to sit for half the inning. So yeah, hitting hitting a baseball is pretty hard though, and you had and you take the risk of getting hit by a pitch, which yeah, really sucks. But if you're usually you're your DH, you're usually one of the better hitters on the team. So yeah, and you pretty much get to take hacks. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would be better is if you also got a pinch runner every time you got on base. That would be like the ultimate. All you do is hit, and you don't have to run the bases. And you have the option of going in the clubhouse. Whether it say it's a super hot day, you hit. If your team's in the field, or if it's at the opposite end of the lineup, you could just sit in the clubhouse for a couple innings and just yeah, chill. You can go have a whole meal up there. Yeah, you could do whatever. You could get a workout in even even during the game while you're actually playing. So that was I got the, a good buddy that uh, was. Uh, so one of his friends was a pitcher for the Cubs, his uh, college roommate, and he was actually uh, got to be the Bat Boy. He was like 32 years old when he was a Bat Boy, so it was like 32 year old Bat Boy okay. out there, which is pretty funny. But they had a rain out, and he said that uh, like the Major League Clubhouse, just unbelievable. Guys were in there, just they have Bud Light on tap. I mean, they had a whole spread of food laid out, bubble gum, seeds, tobacco, co, anything you want, pretty much. And I know a lot of these snowflakes today. They they can't go in there and eat. They got to watch their diet and all that stuff. But the good old the good old big gut baseball pitchers, man, in, in the old days, that that was where it was at. He said Greg Maddox was in there like butt naked, like just drinking Bud Light <laughs> out of a keg. I remember. Uh, I know the Red Sox got. They had like some fiasco where players were drinking beer in the clubhouse, and it got like Terry Francona fired or whatnot. But I actually worked back in high school. I worked for the Bats, um, probably about ten years ago now. And they had a, they would send a, whatever pitcher wasn't pitching that day, they'd send him up in the crowd, and he'd have the radar gun, and he'd do like pitching charts or whatever. <laughs> That's minor league baseball. Yeah, right minor league triple A. But in between innings, he would run in. He had one of those big souvenir cups that you see at every stadium has them. It's got like the big thirty-two ounce plastic cups with the team's like emblem and schedule or whatever on it. And he ran in every two or three innings and filled that thing up with <laughs> beer out of the keg they had in the out in the, in the clubhouse. So 
what a what a sport that is. That would be definitely an easy job. Being a pitch a pitcher on an off day would definitely be up there. That would have to be up there too. Then another one we had was the college football holdback guy. We see it now. <laughs> the head coaches have holdback guys that are designed to hold them back because because now they penalize them if they come out on the field or so, for something. That would definitely be one for sure. I see that I see that not only in football, I see that in basketball a lot too. And then, you know, when you have bench clearings in baseball, there's usually like three guys trying to hold one guy back. I just want what I want to know what would happen if like they just let him go. Like what's the worst thing that could happen? Would it, would a coach go out there and hit a referee in the face? No. I don't know. I guess the rest of just don't like being But that's why at. it makes holdback guy the easiest job there is. Yeah. Well, then, you know, the coach tell them to, you know, F off and they have to get back. So there's really nothing they could do. They were really at the mercy of the head coach there. And then another guy, you see those on the football sidelines, they got those big cardboard cutouts, like poster boards of like, I guess they're like, they're different pictures of maybe celebrities or like cartoons or yeah. whatever. Whoever holds that up, that, that, that can't be that hard of a job. You get the best, you get, you're right there on the sideline and you just hold up a board every, every once in a while. But don't those things have something to do with like formations or like play calls? Yeah, a lot of them are just like, I mean, some of them do. Some of them are just dummies. Some some are just for looks. But yeah, usually it's like a formation or a a, a package like a different like a, for defense. Maybe a different type of package. Maybe you use five six DBs on that kind of play stuff like that. See, now that actually seems like a lot of responsibility to me. Now that that involves some thinking and some brain power, and it seems like you could really be uh, if if you held up the wrong play, they end up costing your team a game or something like that. That's like something that can go viral, like on on YouTube or Twitter, is a coach saying that the the cardboard guy held up the wrong cardboard and cost his team the game, and then yeah. like everybody just piles on cardboard. Guys. That's true, but there's also there's dumb like in football there's dummy signals. You'll see like on a sideline, you may see like quarterbacks in different color hats. Maybe it's like a red, a yellow. Whoever the quarterback is that's given the dummy signals, that has to be one of the easiest jobs. You can just do whatever the hell you want with your hands all, all day, all game. That that would be definitely something you could have yeah, fun with. Yeah, that's like uh, that's basically getting a, a sideline ticket to an NFL game, and you got to move your hands down, around a little bit. So those those were some of the replies we got. We we really appreciate you all uh, reaching out to us. Uh, we'll definitely do something like that. Again, again, uh, one I came up with last week. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, Farmer. Butch Jones is on Alabama's support staff, pretty much. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. So, I, pretty much the support staff is you do on, like, these college football teams are having, like, these big support staffs where they'll, you know, watch film, do charting, do all kinds of crazy stuff. So, Butch Jones is working for Alabama this year. And they, they had a picture of him, I guess, last week or two weeks ago. And he was standing outside Nick Saban's car, and he was cleaning off the windows at, like, the gas at one of the service gas stations. Yeah, that, yeah that, it sounds like he may have the easiest or the most pain-in-the-butt job right now, Butch Jones. That's a pretty big – I mean, when you think about what Tennessee was, I mean, with Peyton Manning, national championship caliber SEC football team, and he has the head coaching job there at the stadium that holds 100,000-plus people, what that program has become and, and the fall from grace that Butch Jones has had is – it's just mind-boggling when you think about how far Tennessee's fallen. Well, the bad part is, if you think about it, you could say Butch was maybe the second-best coach they've had in that past decade when they had the Derek Dooley fiasco. Lane Kiffin only stayed for one year. Fulmer um, kind of uh, pooped out there in 2008. 
that was a program that was up with Alabama back in the, the probably early 90s as the best two programs in the South and in the SEC. And now it's just it's been a really rough decade for them. They've really fallen off. Wasn't Tennessee one of your uh, locks of the year? Was it under four and a half? Yeah, I think it was five or five and a half. For but total wins? Yeah, I, I would definitely play that under. I've seen some of them come out, come out here recently because you have different casinos release different totals. Some have it even as high as six. So Tennessee is definitely one um, that I would definitely play that under. And later in the summer, I think we're going to go maybe have a segment or two where I go through maybe every conference and give you my best bets for over-unders totals for the year. But that that was definitely something. That, being on Nick Saban's control staff or support staff anyway, because you see guys that have hold his sweat rag or be the water guy for Saban. He they might they might have some cakey jobs there, or they might have some jobs where you just get yelled at by Saban because everybody know we seen on the camera that he loves to yell. That's for sure. But another thing I want to touch on is I think we we've seen a lot of radio shows come out and we've seen Facebook groups emerge, but we haven't. I haven't seen a podcast come out and be the official support podcast for Top Golf Wolf in Oxmore. So I want to I want to make the statement right here to say here at Stake Sports Podcast on Twitter at Stake AF on Twitter at B Farmer eighteen on Twitter at Adam Luckett BOS that we are the official podcast of bringing Top Golf to Oxmore Mall. And for all you residents over there in Oxmore, if you don't like it, well. I'm sorry. We're just going to turn up the music even louder. <laughs> so all you non-golfing SOBs over there, you better get used to it. Get with the times and come up, come over there and swing that big driver with us. This Top Golf has been nothing but an economic boom to any city that it's gone to. Uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't care if it was close to my neighborhood, so I'm all for it, man. You know, so you're gonna, anything you do in life, there's going to be somebody who doesn't want it done, so... We got We got to bite the bullet here, and we got to get Top Golf to Louisville, and we're gonna we're gonna champion that uh, that effort. Actually, on Memorial Day weekend, I made a trip. We need to tweet Top Golf Louisville. So we can get yeah, I'm gonna do that when we release the <laughs> when we release this uh, this podcast. I'm gonna tag them in it, and maybe try to find them on Facebook as well, and get maybe if we can get some stuff going, maybe even get a little sponsorship out of it. Who we knows? We do a show at Top Golf. There you go. We'd be we'd be set up. We could do it right there, right there in the entrance when you walk in. But I actually went to Top Golf. All of our friends from Hurstbourne. Mm-hmm. I've heard, all, I've heard all about how great it was for a couple of years now. And finally, I went to Jacksonville over Memorial Day weekend and went to it. And I have to say, it's pretty. It's one of the coolest, I guess, places I've ever been to. It's a little expensive, but it, there's at a bar or sports bar, there's no place more you could have more fun in the you know two two hour period. Yeah, not only is it like super fun and you can get a group of people, anybody can do it. It's also like my favorite restaurant. Mm-hmm. They have like super. They have really good food there. Yeah, golf. the stuff we got was was pretty good. And if you you go there at the right times, they have happy hours and stuff like that. So if you time it right, you can you can get a pretty good uh, deal out of it. Plus, they have leagues. If, if, as soon as we get one, I'm getting in a league. Yeah, they, I was I was seeing something on. I think I was hearing something about the radio on that they have leagues or or top golf training or something up there. So I'm, I'm sure they have all, all kinds of stuff. And they have different games you can play, whether a drive competition, I guess a chip competition, um, all kinds of stuff like that. So it's a great place. And uh, we're definitely team top golf over here. And we're going to – we don't care what those people over at Oxmoor think. We're going to make this happen. So all of you all in support, make sure you follow us. And uh, make sure you let Top Golf know that we want them here in Louisville. It's going to be great for the city. And it's going to be a blast to go out there on a Friday night, no matter – what, whether it's December or, or June, there's a, there's always going to be stuff to do out there. So 
it's going to be really, really cool. And something, something this city really They're didn't have. They're concerned about the traffic, and you know what? It's not going to be that bad. Well, the traffic is already what it is over there. I mean, tra- living over there, I, I think that you you just used to shitty traffic. I, and I'll, it's if you've ever been to the mall, and even the malls haven't been that bad in the last couple of years around Christmas time. But if you've ever been over to those malls in Christmas time, that's pretty bad. There's no way it can be worse than that. No way. There's no way it can even be as bad as that. I don't think you're talking about thousands of people going to the mall as opposed to Top Golf, which might get you know what, I don't know, five six hundred cars a night going in and out of there. Yeah, that sounds about right. But it is interesting because I, I don't know if there's any other ones that are just by a mall like that or like a populated area like that. I know Jackson, the one in Jacksonville was near a mall, but it was kind of away from stuff, so it made. I guess park getting in and out of parking lot easier, um, and everybody takes Ubers and Lyfts anyway. I mean, you, the Top Golf has all the clubs there you need. It's not like you have to take your golf clubs unless you're like super serious golf. What, what is your policy on that? Do you think taking your golf clubs to uh, <laughs> Top Golf is kind of douchey, I'll or is it like this. taking a bowling ball to a bowling alley? If I was in a league, if I was in a league, I would probably take my own clubs. But I'm golf guy, so. If I'm just going up there to hack it around, no way. If I'm just going with some buddies, taking an Uber, we're going to have a couple drinks, uh, and we're just hacking around, I'm definitely not taking my clubs, leaving the sticks at home. But, yeah, if I'm in a league and I'm playing, like, once a week up there for, like, money or something else, then, yeah, I'm probably going to take my own clubs up there. Yeah, that makes sense. I just – you just see some people – I've only been one time, but you just see some guys in there that bring their clubs in, and and they're only there for, I don't know, 30 minutes. It just seems – what are you doing? It would probably be cheaper just to go to the driving range, but – you want to show off your nice bag i'm not going like full like titleist hat like collared shirt tucked in golf shoes if you wear your golf shoes to top golf that's crossing the line yeah that's a little too much i think taking your own clubs wear a nice relaxing outfit but if you take your shoes and your visor that's too much yeah that's 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 crossing the line As we enter here Wednesday night, June 6th, we're coming to you live a couple hours before tip-off there in Cleveland as the Cavs take on the Warriors in Game 3. Of course, the Warriors have a 2-0 lead and they're just two wins away from a sweep. LeBron James trying to avoid, the, uh, for the second time, him being sweeped in the NBA Finals. I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, Farmer, but the Warriors didn't sell out Game 1 there in the NBA Finals, which was kind of a surprise, but that it got swept under the rug totally with that uh, that. J.R. Smith fiasco there at the end of the game. Uh, well, you asked me if I see it. Um, I did not see it. I have not watched one game in this NBA Finals, um, and mainly just because, I don't know, a lot of reasons. I'm not a huge NBA fan. But, uh, I, yeah, I can see. I can easily believe that they didn't sell it out. I mean, especially in California where everything's three times more expensive than it is anywhere else. Uh, there's no telling how much those tickets cost, and I think that – like we talked about uh, on last week's episode, man, I think this mixture, this injection of political opinions 
in sports and entertainment is really turning a lot of people off. Yeah, the, the, the big thing to me that was a surprise there was that it wasn't scalpers. It wasn't tickets that were, you know, were just on the street. It was box office like seats. You could have walked up to the window outside Oracle Arena there in Oakland and bought a ticket to get in the game. They had, I believe it was 200 lower levels and like 400 upper levels. So you could have gotten an upper probably for, I don't I didn't look up the prices. Now I know out there in like Oakland and San Francisco, prices are like insane out there for anything, but... So who knows how much the ticket was, but that was that was kind of crazy. As the Cavs and Warriors are playing for the the fourth time in a row in the NBA Finals, but I have never in watching basketball seen. I guess I have before, but it's been a, not at like at the NBA level. J.R. Smith, it's a tie game. Cleveland shooting a free throw. George Hill misses. Somehow J.R. Smith gets a rebound over Kevin Durant, and then he just dribbles out the clock, and he doesn't call timeout. He doesn't realize that the game is tied. He doesn't, and his coach doesn't call timeout. It was like the only thing I could really kind of compare it to was Chris Weber in 1993 in that national championship game against North Carolina, where he calls the timeout, gets the technical, just just has a total brain fart on the court for everybody to see. And then I just, I mean, what got me thinking about that? Could you imagine Twitter uh, during the time if Twitter was around when Chris Weber did that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the way people were piling on J.R. Smith, but uh, I, I, and you know, we're a sports show, and I'm sitting here saying that I don't watch the NBA. That's great, but uh, I get most of my NBA news from from Twitter. That's where I get most of all my news, really. But I did see the uh, kind of the the unedited version of LeBron. Just yeah, you talking about when they walk back to the bench? Yeah. Oh yeah. Just yeah. wanted nothing to do with uh, talking to J.R. Smith, and then. I mean, don't get me wrong. Look, he he's probably the greatest ever. Um, you could argue him and MJ all day long, but man, he sounds like a real dick in the press conference when somebody asked him uh, if he, you know, if he should do a little better job of picking up his teammates. And his comment was, "I got us in the NBA Finals. What more picking up? You know, how much more can I pick up my teammates?" I thought that was kind of a kind of a jerk thing to say, but then again, he's the greatest, and it's true. But you know, sometimes there's things that are true that. Uh, you just you just shouldn't say to the media. Yeah, I don't think he looked great in that overtime and then that press conference, like you said. But at the same time, he did get J.R. Smith paid. He made sure that the Cavs signed him to extension. Now J.R. Smith's making $16 million a year to play basketball. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah he, he could say whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you score – you know, you drop a 50-burger. Um, you play awesome. You really kind of dominate that game, and you still can't get a win. I, that's got to be extremely frustrating for him. And I think he's one foot out the door. I think he's going to go somewhere else to play his basketball next season, which is going to be something very interesting to watch uh, this July when the NBA free agency hits. But that video, yeah, like that you were talking about, that was one. That was really kind of a crazy thing to watch because there was usually in a video like that you hear announcers talking about it, but really was like a raw, unedited video, and it was just Jr. Watch Jr. go back, and LeBron sits next to him. And then they just show Jr. and he just looked like his dog just died. He just couldn't believe it. And then it, they show Ty Lue comes into the picture, the head coach for Cleveland. And LeBron, LeBron asked Ty Lue if they had any timeouts, and Lue was like, "Yeah." And no one called one. And you see LeBron's facial expression are just like, "You freaking idiots! I cannot believe I'm surrounded by such incompetence." Well, LeBron could have called a timeout, couldn't he? I think the rule is that you only the player with the ball and the. Uh, 
the coach can call timeout. So, oh, okay. and I I know that there was that the meme going around of LeBron pointing his pointing his hands at Jr. Like, what the hell are you doing? And that's been all over Twitter. I think that might be become like the new crying Jordan whenever somebody does something wrong or stupid. I don't know if it'll last as long as a crying Jordan. That that one went on what seemed like an eternity, but that's definitely something that will that will occur. And I don't know if you saw this yet or not, Farmer. The NBA is going to ex- experiment with some rules that I think could maybe get into the college game during summer league. I've not sh- seen it. They they are going to experiment don't with watch a NBA. with a challenge flag. <laughs> Unless I saw it on Twitter, I wouldn't know. Yeah, well, this was just on Twitter. It hadn't been announced anywhere. They're going to experiment with a challenge flag in Summer League. I'm not sure how the hell this is going to work or or what kind of what kind of things they can challenge, but that's something that's definitely going to be interesting. Ball on that, on the court? I guess that you'd have to throw it on a dead ball. Oh, okay. But I, they haven't released, like, inf- like, details about it yet, but that's something that could be interesting. And then tonight during the game, the NBA has a referee Twitter account, and the referees are going to be answering questions with fans all throughout the game or in explaining calls. Now, I like that. Yeah, I, I do like too. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Hey, let me Hold on. Let me say this. I like that as long as they don't give, you know, if, if they call a spade a spade and when they when they mess up, if they, you know, they recognize it and they accept responsibility for it, even then, I don't really know how much that helps because you've already been wronged as a fan. But I think that's definitely something. We've talked about that on the show before is that officials are not held, you know, they're they're paid professionals and they're not held accountable at the end of games. And, I mean, games that, like the NBA Finals, I mean, not this particular NBA Finals, but a lot of times, just in basketball in general, big games are decided by one or two field goes. And when you talk about officials making – Big time controversial calls that that swing the game, you know, one basket one way or another, and the game's decided by one or two field goals. Man, I don't know; those dudes need to answer for some of the calls they make. I think so. I think this is a step in the right direction for that for sure, as long as they own up to their mistakes. I don't want any political nonsense. Yeah, there was a there was a huge call in game one where it was it was a they called a charge on the floor, but then they went back and reviewed it because it was close to the restriction area, which was at that circle, like kind of below the rim in the paint, where if, you, if a defender's in it, it's an automatic block. Well, they when they went to review it, they saw that LeBron was out of the restriction area, but that wasn't a big deal. But what I didn't realize is that they can overturn a block charge call there. So when they went to review it in the slow-mo show that LeBron was moving, and it was a block, I didn't know they could change that. And that kind of that call right there kind of changed the game, and I know a lot of – I know Ty Lue said a bunch of stuff about that in the press conference, and now Cleveland was rightfully pissed about that. And even Cal said this week he'd like to see that rule in college basketball where you could review the restricted area like that and then overturn a block and charge. Um, because we've talked about college officials multiple times, how they're bad they are with that rule. And I think it could be a good thing to have uh, maybe a challenge system in place if they do it the right way. You don't want it where you are you can challenge all the time throughout the game, but in the last couple minutes, if there's specific things you can challenge, I think it can be good for uh, the game, and I think it can only make basketball better as, as they're, they're working with these rules. And, of course, I, this past year, college basketball and the NIT play with quarters and uh, 
about a different type of bonus system where you wouldn't have the single bonus. You'd have a bonus in each quarter after you reach five fouls. So you wouldn't have free throws all half as we've seen multiple times in watching college basketball over the years. But a few weeks ago, I gave out a, a bet and pick farmer. I told everybody to take the Rockets as they were playing the Warriors coming off a, a bad loss in game one. Here I'm going to give out another one. Take my thing is the Cavs are going to be money line or they're going to be dogs these next two games, game three, game four. I do not see them losing both games. They're going to win one of these. So if you bet whatever you're comfortable betting money line both times, you're going to win. You should win or come close to winning a little bit of money. So, but tonight is the one to bet on. Jump on that money line. The Cavs are plus five right now. I'm not sure what that line is, but you're going to get plus odds, and you're going to get back more money than you bet. So take the Cavs on the money line tonight. They're going gambling's my favorite part of this show. Yeah, that's what we do best, and we're gonna, <laughs> we're going to get in some more gambling here in a little bit as we're going to preview the Belmont. And I don't know if you saw this or not. Over in Delaware, they I guess they're the first state outside of Nevada to get it going as they're. A few of their casinos are up and running, and their sports books and people. Say Darren Ravel was over there covering it, and a bunch of people are taking it. Every state in bets. that does it is just putting us, putting us one step behind. So. Yeah. and I believe it's been two or three days they've been open. They said they've received uh, over two hundred thousand dollars in bets in just those, just those couple days. So, wow. so they're gonna. The state of Delaware is gonna be pulling in some money. That's for sure. Um, and another big storyline was uh, the MLB draft this week. Happened and a guy by the name of Kyler Murray, who was former quarterback at Texas A&M, now transferred to Oklahoma, was Baker Mayfield's backup last season. He's set to be the starting quarterback this year, a dual threat guy, uh, plays like Russell Wilson. If that's going to be like who everybody compares him to, in a surprise, he plays baseball as well. And this spring, he did pull double duty, played baseball for the Sooners, and also was a quarterback during spring practice. And it kind of he was expected to be a first round pick, but it was kind of a surprise that he went. In the top ten off the board, he plays outfield. He went to the Oakland A's. So immediately, people thought right away he was going to skip the football season, and Oklahoma was going to be in a bit of a bind as they were going to lose their starting quarterback in the month of June. But the A's have come out, and Murray has come out, and Lincoln Riley, head coach, has come out saying, you know, he's going to play next year, and then he's going to do baseball after after that season. But the real story with Murray is that that's a crazy crazy feat. You know, we've only seen a few athletes all the time. You know, Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, they come to mind of when you think about get guys at that level that have been able to play both football and baseball. But the real story with Kyler Murray was he was this awesome baseball player in high school. But not only that, he was a five-star quarterback in the state of Texas at the highest level um, at Allen High School right outside of Dallas. The guy never lost a game as a starter in Texas. He was 42-0 and and won three state championships. They need to make a movie off his high school career in Texas. That had to be one of the best high school lives ever. You're you're in Texas. You're the quarterback. You're a superstar. You're a superstar baseball player. You never lose a game. You're five star. You have Texas, Texas A&M, all of them out after you recruiting wise. Or you could have gone and made millions playing baseball. That's a hell of a life, and that's something you see, something you would see out of a Hollywood script. So that was barely my big takeaway was not that he was a major league bat- baseball draft pick. We've seen that before, not necessarily that high, but that he had this crazy ass high school career, and that was that's pretty much been overshadowed because he's going to be playing in the major in the big leagues here in the next few years. 
but we're we're gonna move on here in this next segment, Farmer. I think we're gonna touch on some Belmont picks. As you're actually making the trip, aren't you? Yeah, man, I'm getting on a plane uh, tomorrow morning, six a.m. So. Actually, I'll probably be in New York City by the time most people uh, listen to this. Um, probably not going to get much sleep tonight. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Going to walk around the city tomorrow. Uh, I've, I've already done a little bit of handicapping, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give out some picks here. I'll probably study this a little harder on the, uh, on the plane. And, actually, uh, if, if our listeners may be, may be familiar with Adam Green from Stake Sports Handicapping, who usually comes on and gives out some picks – and uh, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to make it on uh, this week to talk about the Belmont. But he has a point system that he puts together for the Belmont. See, the Belmont's a mile and a half race. And um, a lot of it, uh, well, not a lot. Of, let's just say that there's a lot of long shots that you can throw in the money in the Belmont just because of breeding, just because of breeding that's made to go a mile and a half that you wouldn't normally see in another race. So, uh We'll talk about that point system a little more. Um, may not get out all those picks on the podcast tonight, but I know most people don't get their picks from this podcast anyway. They get it from our tweets. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at StakeAF, at BFarmer18, at Adam Luck at BOS. And uh, we'll, tweet out, we'll tweet out our full pick sheet for the Belmont Stakes card uh, as well as our point system. So stick around. We'll talk about more about that when we get back. And we're back here for our final uh, segment of the Stake Sports Podcast, and it's horse racing time. And just like we did for the Derby and the Preakness, we're going to run down through some of our picks as Justify goes after that Triple Crown. He tries to become, I believe, what's the second horse in three years? Did Farrell do it three years ago? Uh, I believe it was, yeah, three years ago. Yeah. That's correct. So second and three. and uh, far- for Bob Baffert. Farmer is actually making the trip up to Belmont. It's going to be able to get, we're going to have some boots on the ground up there as he's going to give out some picks here. And so Farmer, take it away, my man. Yeah, and it's uh, looking like it's going to be pretty decent weather. I think there's like a 50% chance of rain on Saturday. So hopefully that stays away. Uh, the first two legs of the Triple Crown, as we all know, anybody who attended the Kentucky Derby was a complete washout uh, muddy both days and um, so I mean if it's rainy and muddy again I mean you gotta like justify he's he's shown that he can do it uh, rain or shine really so he's gonna be tough to beat but uh, there are there are a few that uh, that I think could get him um, so many horses have made it to the third leg of the triple crown and get beat uh, and they're all heavily bet so uh probably going to play against them just because that's what i do almost every race i really don't like betting favorites but uh especially in a field that big with horses uh, that talented but we'll get to that in a minute um so i'm just going to give you a quick rundown of all the races leading up to the belmont stakes uh the the past performances just came out today in the post position so i haven't had a ton of time to look at this like i said we'll tweet out these picks um once we get closer to saturday uh, i should probably tweet those out saturday morning so Make sure you refresh your your uh, your Twitter feed there and look for our picks, because as we all know, if you played uh, if you played Oaks Day, you played Preakness Day, you you were profitable. 
So on the first race here, um, just a, a one-mile turf race, $70,000 purse. This is a Philly race um, on that one-mile Widener turf at Belmont. And a horse that I really like in here is uh, is the three, um, Out of Trouble. And he's got some really good workouts at Belmont Park, um, especially compared to the other horses in this race. Definitely good enough to win this race. But one thing that bothers me a little bit about the three is my man Javier Castellano is hopping off this three for from Brad Cox, and he, he probably had his choice between these two mounts. And he's taken the ride on the one, La Moneda, uh, who who looks pretty good, two for two at Belmont, um, and has got two two wins and one second and four starts over the turf. So um, those are probably going to be my top two picks. you got to like the six War Canoe and the seven Bonita Springs. So, Let's uh let's play the three six one seven trifecta box there in the first, and then moving on to race number two here, uh, we got a one mile um, hundred fifty thousand dollars stakes race here for for three year old Colts, and the horse that I really really liked on Derby Day that ran in the Pat Day Mile, which like we just talked about, it was a complete slop mess on Derby Day. And this was just a really, really messed up race. A horse named Funny Duck won this race at like 39 to 1. It was like an $80 winner. And I think you really, I think you got to throw that race out. I think it was just a, a messed up race for the entire field. Um, Mask went off as a favorite in that race and just really did not take to the track, did not take to the sloppy service and, and kind of just tired out finishing 15 lengths behind a horse that, for my money, may not win another race in his career. So I'm going to play Mask again. I think he was good enough. I thought he was good enough to win on Derby Day. I was wrong, but he is good enough to win again in a big in a stakes race, and I think it's going to be this Saturday at Belmont. So I like the two Mask at five to two, um, and I think you should get around that price on that horse. And then um, a couple other I like in here. I like the five. Anytime you get John Velasquez and Pletcher on a twelve to one, you got to throw them in there. Uh, I like the six. He's ran a couple. He's ran. He's one for one at Belmont and has two really good speed figures there and his only two starts. And then another horse I'm going to throw in here that, you know, at three to one, I don't really know about that. Um, would probably only throw him in the exotics because this is going to be his first time running against winners and it's in a pretty good field, pretty strong field here. But certainly the odds makers seem to like the three rugby man. I'm going to go ahead and throw him in on the bottom. Uh, two, six, five, three. Uh, we'll make that a trifecta box, and uh, I really like. Uh, I'm probably going to make a hefty win bet on the two mask there. I had to make sure you keep me straight on time here. I'm going to try yeah, and roll you, through. You've got time. And then uh, looking at race number three, um, we're getting into our first graded stakes race on the Belmont card here, and uh, we're going to one a mile and a sixteenth one turn on the main track, and a horse that I really like in here that. I think, for my money, is one of the best bets of the day. Um, probably going to walk in the gate and walk right up to the teller window and make a bet on the five, American Gal. Um, she was potentially going to be entered in a in another race, uh, an even stronger race later on the card, and they chose to enter in this race, which, for my money, is not as good opponents. And so I was going to key her to win in that race, and since she's running against opponents that aren't as good, definitely going to key her to win in the third. So I like the five, American Gal. If there's any horse that can contend, it's going to be the six, Abel Tasman. So I'm going to key those two probably in a uh, – probably play a, a 10-cent Superfecta and a 50-cent Trifecta wheel. Um, we're going to play the five, six with the one, two, four, five, six 
with the one, two, four, five, six with all. You know what that means? You know about that? That means we're gonna win some money. That's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on here. Race number four. The second grade one of a unbelievable Belmont Stakes Day card. Uh, again, I see this being a two horse race here. Um, big money Mike Smith gets the mount on the five Caledonia Road, who um, has certainly shown that she can run with the uh, with the big dogs. She was the winner of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly uh, at Del Mar. I was in attendance there last year in a very impressive a very impressive win against a solid solid i mean it's a breeder's cup race so you know that's a solid field and and caledonia road took that race easy uh i think you've got the kentucky oaks winner in this race and monomoy girl and i think that she was very very impressive in that oaks race you can't take anything away from her but um I don't know. I don't know. I just, there's just something something about the the way that she's been working leading up to this race. Uh, I just don't really I just don't really like the way things are going. And I tell you, a horse that's really got a big chance here and probably going to be the biggest odds out all of them is the seven Talk Way Way to me, who we we mentioned in the um, in the Derby and Oaks podcast. So I'm going to play the five seven with the five seven with all uh, in a trifecta, and I'm going to try and beat Monomoy Girl. Um, I know a lot of people kind of like the two spectator, but don't really like the shipping stats. They're going to be coming all the way across country for the first time from Santa Anita. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to – I hardly ever do this, but I'm going to have to play against Javier Castellano and Phil D'Amato in the two. So, we'll go 5-7 um, with a 5-7 with all there. That'll work. That'll work. Race number five, the Brooklyn grade two. Um, we got a mile and a half race, a uh, very, very long race for thoroughbreds. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how much money there there will be uh, to be made in this race. Um, just at first glance, you got to like the nine war story. It's two to one morning line, but it's probably going to go off uh, even money or so. Uh, so I like I like War Story to win. Um, usually, like I said, usually don't bet the favorites, but you know if I'm betting a favorite, then there's probably a good chance that they look the best. So I'm going with the nine War Story here, um, just to play, just to throw a couple under a couple in there underneath. Uh, I'm going to play the two opportunity, the three hard study, and then I'll tell you one that one that really doesn't look bad at thirty to one is going to be the six backside of the moon. So. Let's play the nine on top, but hope that six can get in there for the exotics at 30 to one. But I think the nine looks like a clear winner there. Six race, um, and we got a little bit of time here. We're trying to speed it up. Two horse race. Stormy Liberal probably looks like your winner. Um, I'm going to throw the seven blind ambition in there. Let's play a big time exact the box, one seven and a sixth. Seventh race, uh, the, the Woody Stevens grade two, um, seven furlongs, one turn. Uh, it's interesting to me. There, there's only all these. There's some pretty seasoned horses in this race, but only one horse in this race has actually ran at Belmont and is done very well. Two for two on the Belmont track, and that's the three engage, who uh, certainly proved that he can run with this caliber of field. So that's going to be my win bet is the three engage, and I'm going to play him on top of the eight. Uh, the you, you got to go with Flavian Pratt anytime you see his name on there, especially with Jerry Hollendorfer, uh, and the twelve with Johnny Velasquez, and then man, 
You see Javier Castellano and Dallas Stewart teaming up together on a 30-to-one shot. I mean, this happens like maybe once a year, so i got to throw the four in there. Give me a minute. 30-to-one, um, Javier Castellano. Mark my word. If you want to take all your money and make a show bet, throw that four in there in the seventh race. Um, bet the four to show at 30-to-one, Javier Castellano. Race number eight here as we uh, get ever closer to the actual Belmont Stakes. Um, Going to run through this one pretty quick, too. Uh, one mile on the turf. Uh, really like the five-horse Proctor's Ledge. My man, Brandon Walsh, we talked about uh, Proctor's Ledge on the Oaks and Derby podcast. I once had a friend that was thrown out of a bar um, off the ledge by a guy named Proctor. So uh, that's also a hunch bet. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, play the five, uh, and I'm going to bet a four-horse box with a three-eight-seven there. Race number nine, the Met Mile. They decided to uh, take who I I really liked in the Derby was my horse Bolt Dioro, and and throw him in this one mile race and back him down just a hair, uh, and I think that's going to be a good move. I really like the two um, Bolt Dioro here. Uh, but about three and a half minutes, Farmer. I can't go against the three Limousine Liberal. Who it seems like every time I bet against this horse, he wins. Uh, he won at Churchill Downs on Derby Day on the sloppy track. And I t- if you like Limousine Liberal, you got to like the nine Warriors Club because if you look at those last three races, those two have basically been in duels uh, for first and second place. And Limousine Liberal could easily win this race, and at 20-1, to 1, Warriors Club will be on my ticket somewhere. So I like the two and the three the most, but I'm going to play a five-horse box, two, three, nine four eleven and like i said you want to make a show bet i really like that nine here in the ninth race as well race number 10 got one that i really 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 like here probably make another big win bet and that's the seven uh fashion business at 30 to one so i think you got to like the one horse shipping over uh robert bruce um, these European horses typically dominate the, the turf races here in America. So I am going to play the, the the one is going to be my big win bet. But for, for if you're looking for a price, I really like the seven fashion business. Uh, so let's play. Uh, I'm, I'm six deep here. One, seven, three, ten, eight, eleven. Going to have a little to win on the one. Going to have a little to win on the seven just because he's such big odds. And that is going to finish out race number 10, race number 11. The big daddy. The Belmont Stakes. Um, heard about it, talked about it. Everybody likes Justify. But a horse that I've been on, and I was on him before the Derby, and uh, I'm going to be on him again. I think he's training lights out. I think he's building up to a good race. That's the four, Hofberg. He was my long shot special in the Derby. Uh, you know, muddy muddy track, 20-horse field. Didn't quite get the trip he needed, but... Um, but still, Hofberg is going to be my pick to knock off the uh, the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness champion, Justify. Uh, I will play a Sabre Superfecta bet with Justify on top. Then I like the, the horse um, that, you know, if, if the uh, Preakness may have been another 80 to 90 yards, Bravazo probably would have caught up with Justify. And with this being a mile-and-a-half race, he just might have enough track to do it. So um, I'm going to throw Bravazo in there. And then one thing that kind of jumps off the page at me here is that Bob Baffert, obviously trains Justify and is, is running for a triple crown, also has an entry, has another entry in this race, the five, Restoring Hope. Now, if you listen to the way Baffert's talked to the media, uh, you know that he says that 
the only reason this horse is in there is because his owner insists that they run this horse in there and he doesn't think he has much of a chance. And you got to decide. Does he think that uh, – is the only reason he's entering this horse because he doesn't think he can beat Justify or is he not that confident so he wants to have another one in here? So – like the five, going to go with the uh, four, one, three, five, eight, nine, six deep, some combination. Uh, big win bet on four Hofberg, but it would be pretty cool to have a $2 ticket uh, on a triple crown winner from Belmont. But that's all we got. Check the Twitter machine, and we will see you next week. Hopefully, everybody cashes some tickets this week. Adam, have fun at your bachelor party, buddy. Pray for me, everybody. Find it right.